I'm always trying to get more sex for men. You know that from being at Principia. Yes. Thank you, Allison. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, it's good for us, too. We, yeah. we, it's good for unions. It's good for happiness. We stand today. The Business Method with the Shadow. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs' systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars in annual revenue. And now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results, economies, and cultures. There's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this, and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen. Now, let's jump in today's show. The Business Method. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the show today. I want to welcome you back to the podcast and introduce another very special guest. Um, Allison Armstrong is our guest today. I actually heard her first speak over six years ago, and then I started just engulfing her stuff because her content was so amazing, and I can uh, be a testament that what she teaches changes people's lives because it has been one of the most impactful material that I have studied throughout my life and my personal growth process that has absolutely revolutionized the way that I see the world and uh, the topics that she talks on. So quick introduction, you guys, Alison Armstrong, her exploration into understanding the differences between men and women started way back in 1991. And uh, she just was curious about why men operated the way that they do. And uh, she wanted to understand the difference between the differences between the sexes. And she's been studying men for over 30 or nearly 30 years now. And she has this type of um, understanding about the sexes and especially men that when she, people see her speak, when men see her speak, they, they actually start to cry. And uh, they do that because they feel more understood than they ever had in their entire lives just because of the knowledge that she's sharing. And um, what she does is she distinguishes human instincts uh, that compel both men and women to behave in ways that contradict and undermine our own purposes, goals, and values, and needs, and relationships. I think there's a few key important things that we don't study in school that are incredibly important. Um, One of those are, uh, of course, money. One, One of those is money. The other one is communication, effective communication. And the other one is understanding relationships. And these are three things that are essential for people to live a healthy, well-balanced life and to live a good life. And people on their deathbed are asked all the time, what are your regrets? And they almost always include relationships, understanding um, uh, caliber of relationships, something around communication and taking bigger risks. 
And um, this is exactly what Allison talks about. And so <clears throat> I recommend anybody to check out, even if it's just her YouTube videos, she's on uh, this podcast, uh, her books, you really can understand the dynamic um, of, of men and why we operate the way that we do, uh, but also understand why, we, why and how we interact with women the, the way that we do. And uh, she's a very sought-after sought speaker and thought leader amongst people, and I absolutely love, love listening to her. Uh, I was so happy that we got to, uh, that I got to interview her for an hour and a half, and she's, I could tell the difference like just in my own personal uh, psyche when we started the conversation and then after I was excited before we started the interview and then afterwards I was just just flying everywhere I was just out of out of this world so I've made it actually one of my goals to um, make Allison and her material um, one of my major studies for the next year so I usually have like two or three goals in a year and um, Allison is in her material is one of the most important things my priorities for the next year we talk about like uh, not only that she's a successful entrepreneur she started this amazing location independent business way back in the 90s and uh, has continued to build um, a successful location independent business and um, we talk about the difference between the sexes, you know, why men are operating the way that we are, argument resolution for couples. And uh, so it's a phenomenal show, you guys. I don't think there's anybody that could listen to this entire show and not get um, uh, an incredible amount of value out of it. So that's it. I, let's jump into the show. I want to introduce Allison. You guys, without further ado, Allison Armstrong. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, welcome to the show today. On the mic, we have a person that I have listened to and followed for the past six years about her, her advice and how she helps people understand both men and women specializing in men. And for and she's been studying them for almost 30 or three decades, almost 30 years now. And uh, I first heard her speak in 2013 and uh, I was blown away by the content that she was sharing. And it was so powerful that many men in the audience cried. And what's exciting about that is because they're crying, not because they're scared, uh, but well, maybe a little bit, but because they're, they, they feel fully, they, they feel understood when she speaks. And she's had that effect on men and women, I think, all around the world. And her name's Allison Armstrong. You're a hero to me, Allison. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, I'm just honored that you're here. How are you today? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad that you're here as well. And we were just... And I remember that event so clearly. Do you? And yeah, I do. And I remember the men just going, oh, <laughs> could we have it be like this always? Yeah. Right? Because they were practicing listening and giving men time to think about their answers. Yeah. Oh, that was wonderful. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. Mm -hmm. 
I and we were talking. One thing that I didn't know about you until just a few minutes ago is that um, you know you've been studying and teaching. You're studying men for almost thirty years and teaching um, people about men and women and the difference between sexes. But you're also running a location independent business yourself, right? Yeah, we've actually been that way since 1995. Oh wow! Since before, like the digital nomadism. You know, yeah. uh, started even. How cool! Yeah, my partner and I both worked from our homes in Los Angeles, and then as we added staff, they worked from their places, and um, and it's just always been that way. And we've talked about well, we should get an office, and then we'd laugh and be like, "Really?" And have to get in traffic <laughs> and drive somewhere and annoy each other by interrupting each other. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> No, let's not. And so I think we have employees in, golly, I don't know how many states right now. And I live in rural Western Colorado and I'm visiting friends in Atlanta. Oh, wow. How cool. And my marketing person just got back from Singapore. You know, it's just, yeah, we're all over. So na- nowadays. Why not? Yeah, why not? Huh? Nowadays we have, you know, Skype calls and Zoom calls, online calls. In 95, how were you guys doing? Were you doing team calls over like audio speaker? Oh my gosh, <laughs> we would have to, oh, you're going to crack up at this. Mm-hmm. We, we would, we, <laughs> we had to do three-way calling. So if we had like a seven-person team call, uh-huh. um, I would call Joan and then Joan would call someone and I would call someone and they would call someone <laughs> and they would call someone. And we had to make sure whoever was speaking was in the middle of this string of like seven or eight people. Uh-huh. So th- because you couldn't hear people from one end to the other. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how we did it back then. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's amazing, though, how fast technology has really um, evolved. Because here in a span of, you know, less than 30 years, 25 years, I guess, um, you know, we can do all of that on our phone and call halfway yeah. across the planet yeah. in a matter of seconds, which is amazing. And it's free. It's astonishing. Right. Yeah, it's, just, it's wonderful. It is. Um, wonderful. So uh, we want to talk more about your business because um, um, later on in the show, because you have grown a significant amount of influence. And as you know, we're interviewing 100 major influencers now. And uh, we want to talk about how you handle that influence. But I want the audience to get to know you, the lovely Allison that I know, a, a little bit better. So if you don't mind, um, I know from what I know, you started um, studying men in 1991 because your mm-hmm. friend was called a frog maker or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> a frog farmer. Frog farmer. He was called a frog farmer. Okay, tell us what, yeah. tell, tell the audience what that is. Well, so she asked uh, a trainer in a program we're in, why is it that men are wonderful in the beginning and they'll take you to romantic places and give you romantic presents and listen to you talk about your pets and your family as if they care. And then after a few weeks or a few months, they turn into sports watching, pizza eating, (laughs) beer belching, couch slug. <laughs> I, I love to know that. Like, why tell, tell is us. that? <laughs> why do we do yeah, that? That's the ship. Why is that? And I, I know why that is actually. And uh, I, I figured it out. And the trainer, his name's Herb Tanzer. Um, he called her a frog farmer. <laughs> he said, "You, my dear, are a frog farmer." Uh-huh. And she was really like 
irked by that. All right, all right, so what's that? And he said, some women turn frogs into princes. You, my dear, turn princes into frogs. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, honestly, she didn't take it well. Uh, <laughs> when he turned around, she stuck her tongue out at his back. Like a frog. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and the, I, for me, the, it's like the arrow bounced off her, struck me through my heart. I was sitting next to her. She was standing, holding a microphone. And... It was a it was a revelation of my life, and I I honestly, <laughs> this is in my book, The Queen's Code. I I pictured I just had this vision of this big farmhouse with a wraparound wraparound porch, which is funny because that's what I live in now, um, with with rows and rows of frogs in front of me with little human heads, mm. and my ex-husband and I don't even want to tell you how many ex-boyfriends I had. I had so many ex-boyfriends. Um, and I had prided myself. Um, I decided that men were con artists mm. and I had prided myself on literally provoking men enough and quickly enough to, to reveal their real selves before I fell in love with them. Like I wanted to reveal the con the jerk within, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear because I wouldn't normally use such a mild it's okay, word. It's okay. The, <laughs> uh -huh. It's okay. Yeah. So, so I would, like I prided myself on that I could bring out what I thought were their true selves before I got swept up by this, what I thought was a charming act. Right. And when Herb Tanzer said that, it, I, it was like, oh my gosh, wait a second. This is like, I've been doing that equivalent of kicking a dog mm. and, and then being upset when the dog bit me or the dog ran away or the do dog bit me and ran away, right? Like, oh no, <laughs> I have something to do with, I'm going to have something to do with what I'm getting. I I'm an expert at bringing out the worst in men. I, I have mastered bringing out the worst in men. There's only one problem. I don't know how I'm doing it because I'm normal. <laughs> <laughs> I just do what every other woman does. I just do what my mother does. I, I don't even know how I'm bringing out the worst because I'm a completely normal woman. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. I was so excited, Chris, because. Honestly, the alternative is that men are, in fact, jerks. <laughs> That's the alternative. And, like, really, who wants to live in a world where half the population are jerks? It's difficult. Right? Who, what world is that? Exactly. And most women live in that world. And so it's the idea that I had something to do with it, which meant, cause, you know, every woman has broken her all her fingernails trying to change men and on all her eye teeth and all your everything trying to change men. And, but I knew I could change me, right? At that point I'd be, I participated in transformation for 10 years mm -hmm. since I was 20 years old. I knew I could transform myself. So, so that was thrilling to me that I, Oh my gosh, I have something to do with it. It wasn't about blame. It was about cause. Oh my gosh, I'm the cause of this. That means I could affect it. Oh, I was so excited. And, but I was still me. So I've been in college a lot, right? For my dedication to study men, my commitment, not 
I never dedicated myself. I was certain that men are in fact shallow and it would take two or three months to learn everything that was worth knowing about you. (laughs) 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 That was the extent of what I, you know, committed myself to that day. I was going to find out how I was bringing out the worst in men. Maybe I could learn something about bringing out the best, but since you're shallow, this will, this will happen really quick. I don't even have to dedicate much time to it. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Yeah. And then, yeah. And then the first thing I had to do, which is, you know, what we taught at that event, I had to learn how to listen because one of the reasons women think men are shallow is because we never wait long enough for you to do what we call go to the well and dig deep and, and show us how incredibly complex and thoughtful and, and I don't, I don't like the word emotional because I distinguish between feelings and emotions and, you know, really what a, what a stunningly rich, depth there is and breadth to men that we never most women never know because we we don't shut up long enough to let you express yourself and you don't (laughs) you know this right if you we ask a question if you don't respond immediately we rephrase the question if you don't respond immediately we give you multiple choice (laughs) right and then you realize we didn't want an answer in the first place and you're really irritated (laughs) and 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 we think you're a jerk for being irritated but we don't know we actually prevented you from talking. Mm. And yeah, so that was the first thing I had to learn. And so that's usually the first thing I, I teach men and women. We, we really need to listen to each other differently. Men as well need to listen to women differently. I, I, I agree completely. And, and I'm curious, um, I want to go back to your story, but I want to ask you this first. Uh, what are some, <laughs> yeah. some quick you know, tips for men listening to women and women listening to men? Mm. Well, I think because, you you know, you listen to so much stuff, my, my study of men and then women and in partnership went from these, you know, just documenting all these characteristics that I had observed and then sitting down and going, you know what, they must be connected. This can't just be, you know, some hodgepodge. They, they, they must be related somehow. And, and that was one of my first breakthroughs was seeing that what I learned about men, all these characteristics about men are perfect for the survival of an individual, a family, a tribe, and the whole dang species. They, they all make sense from the point of view of survival, except <laughs> except one standout thing that has nothing to do with survival, and it's pure magic. We can come back to that. But it's, um, once, once I connected those dots and it became like a tapestry of, of making sense of men, and then so what do women do to survive, right? How, what's the differences in how we survive? Then everything just started clicking into place. And one of the ways to think about men, which what's so confusing these days is women spend so much time in the same mode. Um, I call it hunting mode. Okay. And that if you, if you go back to um, prehistoric times and you think of human beings as 
as hunting and gathering. And I like to say that rather than hunters and gatherers, because that's objectifying, where really we have these modes of thinking and and perceiving and interpreting information. And, and when someone is fine, when they're not upset, how someone in hunting mode listens is what's the point? Right. Like what, and, and the point is, right? <laughs> or is there going to be a point? Are we going to get to a point here? Is there a point forthcoming? Oh my gosh. There's, is there even a point? How am I ever going to remember all this? Right. And oh shoot, there's going to be a test and I'm going to be in trouble, <laughs> which is the normal process of listening to the, you know, in interminable, is that the right word? Um, the unending details that most women are compelled to give, which has to do with our survival instincts. And then if a woman is upset or even a man is upset, if someone's upset, then the, then it, you're still hunting, but what you're hunting is, what's the problem, right? Mm. So that, that's the default listening for hunting mode. What's the point or what's the problem? And if, the, if, if someone's not getting to the point and someone in hunting mode, man or woman, but we associate this with men more, will interrupt. Is, is there a point forthcoming? <laughs> Are you going to get to a point here, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which really, really ticks women off. And, and if she's upset and it's not becoming clear what the problem is, because <laughs> that's a word women aren't allowed to say. We never have problems. Is <laughs> right. So we'll just say the problem is we'll, we'll have concern and issues and challenges. And he said, and she said, um, and we're like, and probably, so you guys will interrupt. So what's the problem? Or you'll ask this clarifying question. Has this happened before? How long has this been going on? What is it, the outcome you're trying to have, right? You're trying to identify the problem <laughs> so that you can provide a solution. You can protect us from the upset. Right? It's all really well motivated, and we want to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, so true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were like, ah, just listen to me. Uh-huh. And we just want women, why can't men just listen? And when I'm being ornery, I want to just say, well, you can't either. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because a woman in hunting mode is listening for what's the point, what's the problem. Or if she's in gathering mode, she's listening to, what does this have to do with me? Mm. <laughs> and and if it's not, what does this have to do with me? You're like, if you're fine, what does this have to do with me? Because I am the center of the universe, so everything you say <laughs> has to have something to do with me. Right? Mm-hmm. Or, and it's all instinct, or we're listening, so what do you need from me? So what do you need from me? So what do you need from me? I mean, me is always in there in the default listening for women. What do you need from me? What do you need from me? What do you need from me? And... Chris, a funny outcome of this is we don't, we really don't ask the men in our lives what they want for their birthdays because we've already decided. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) We don't ask. We already know what you need because everything you've said, we've been documenting. Oops, he needs more socks. Uh (laughs) He needs new golf clubs. He needs a new case for his golf clubs. He needs a new phone. Like everything that you complain about, (laughs) <laughs> we're making the list of how to, because we hate it when you complain. We want to fix your complaints as much as you want to fix our problems. Oh, really? Oh, oh gosh, it's torture. <laughs> Men complaining. Uh, honestly, one of my workshop leaders and I, we, we finally just did a whole program called The Cure for Complaining because we're like, look, we were, we were, we were complaining about our husbands because what we were saying was, okay, I just want to say to him, 
you have a choice. You can bitch or get laid. Choose one. (laughs) (laughs) What do you say? You (laughs) complain, you complain, and the shop closes up. So pick. Just pick. You can't have both. It's good to know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's good. To, it's yeah, it's good to know. So yeah, so I ended up doing a program. Started with the anat. We recorded this. Um, the anatomy of a complaint, because once I could dissect a complaint, then I knew how to cure a complaint, and it works. It works amazingly well. And then, oh, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm calling time on myself. No, that's okay. Uh, I was taking notes here. Um, the, you know that birthday thing is so true. When I turn, uh, I'm 39 now, but when I turned 30, mm-hmm. I got tired of people not uh, doing what I wanted to do on my birthday. So I just started making plans for my own birthday, and I have for the past nine years. Because mm. you know, mm. I was like, you know, it, people can't get it right anyway, so I'm going to make plans and just invite everybody to come. <laughs> That's and, awesome. and I've been doing these like fun trips for the past nine years and it's been great. I've loved wow. it. But sometimes I would like somebody to surprise me and do it right, you know, <laughs> or, or ask, you know, what I want, which would be great too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can I tell you something about that? Please. Yes. I call it don't ask, don't tell. Um, fundamental human instincts. Don't ask and don't tell. Because like to ask what someone else needs or wants would be to reveal that you don't already know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. And like if a man asks a woman, what do you want for your birthday? She's actually hurt that he hasn't been paying close enough attention to already know because she's been dropping hints for weeks. Mm. And so she feels hurt that he isn't really listening to her. And yeah. And so and so as a woman, we don't ask because we think we're supposed to already know. And then we don't tell. We don't, and we don't want to reveal that we don't already know because then we're going to look stupid or uncaring because that's our interpretation is you're stupid and uncaring if you don't already know. And then, and then we don't tell because, because like for most women, if you really loved me, you would have picked up on these things already. <laughs> right. And to a man, to a man to tell, it's either one of two things. You think it's, think it's obvious, mm-hmm. right? What I want, what I think, what I need is obvious. Like, why should I have to tell you? It's obvious, of course. And, and there, you guys even have a saying, right? There's no point in stating obvious. It's, it's, a, it's an <laughs> ultimate energy-conserving strategy. Do not waste any energy <laughs> stating the obvious. Right. And right, that's what I'm always telling men. If you think it's obvious, say it, right? <laughs> and then, and because it's not obvious to us. And then, like, oh my gosh, Chris, if men just want to do one thing that would change their lives, is it, is actually tell women what sex provides. That is the number one thing that you guys think is obvious to women, and that we are withholding sex anyway. That we know all the boxes it checks, but we're withholding it anyway. No, we don't know the boxes it checks. <laughs> okay, yeah. We, re- we don't know. And, oh my gosh, yeah. Really, we, yeah. How, Anyhow, how, I could do a whole thing on that, and I have. But How would, how would but one the, start the that thing... conversation, no, Allison? Like... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll tell you in just a second. Let me okay, finish this okay, one okay. sentence. The other thing that has 
both men and women not say what, especially what we need, is because to need something in the first place is is to reveal a weakness. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to need anything. No. You're supposed to be supermen who can accomplish everything on fumes. Yeah. And and so to say, honey, I need your attention, or I I need to eat by noon every day, or I my whole brain blows up. Like to to reveal to expose a need is counter instinctual instinctual because you know for every warrior you only reveal what can't be used against you mm-hmm. and the only things that can't be used against you are the things that aren't important to you which is why men naturally talk about what isn't important to them which is why women think they're superficial mm, wow yeah wow. but men only reveal what's important to them to people who who they think can't hurt them or proven that they won't. And most women have proven that we'll use everything against you. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it's sad. <laughs> it's life. <laughs> it's men and women. <laughs> it's, it's, it's well, but, it, but it doesn't have to do. No, it hasn't. Yeah, I mean, that's so much of my work is teaching women how to have a man's back, how to, how to be authentically loyal mm-hmm. and anything he reveals to you goes in the vault. You don't tell anybody and you certainly don't pull it out in a rage monster fit. Mm-hmm. Like that has to be off limits. You do not say you're just like your dad, mm-hmm. Like you don't do unless you want to kill <laughs> all the intimacy in your relationship. Right. Which women do a lot unwittingly. Um, but you want me to answer your question about Yes, sex? definitely. I was still thinking about it. <laughs> uh, of course. I said the word sex. Um, <laughs> the number one instincts, procreate. The Well, a good way to do it for how women are um, is in a way that igno- that's acknowledging. Okay. Like, you know, honey, when you do that little thing, this is what that does to me. Really? She will remember that. You know that way that you kissed me last night? Oh, my gosh. Really? Oh, my gosh. I, like, took me back to the first time (laughs) when I fell in love with you. Really? Like, we are listening for the effect. We're listening for the impact. And And we don't, it's not us. That, like, for example, I'm always teaching women, when you kiss them goodbye, just linger just one moment longer put be there in that moment be present to that kiss and like two more seconds Mm -hmm. two more seconds and your passion will be reignited you know do not peck anybody on the (laughs) (laughs) not someone you want passion with you know like just but if you guys tell us that thing you know like we don't we don't know this is why we try to get you to debrief sex and you guys don't cause you're asleep because you spend a lot of testosterone and you have to rebuild it. Um, <laughs> which is something I try to teach women. Of course they're going to fall asleep afterwards. Do you know how much testosterone sex burns oh. and they've, and they have to refuel the testosterone immediately. So of course they're asleep. It's exhausting. I mean, we need to. <laughs> yes! Yeah. Yes. Build and spend. John Gray taught me about the build and spend cycle and, uh, 
And we want to snuggle because we just built, we just spent a boatload of oxytocin. Orgasms take so much oxytocin and now we're in a state of deprivation. And so we're trying to get the oxytocin back to feel bonded to you because it's really, really scary. <laughs> and so we're trying to replace our oxytocin while you're replacing your testosterone and it's such a mismatch. <laughs> and, and I just try to teach men, if you can, in that moment of awareness before you fall asleep, just take her arm and pull it around you. Yeah, just like, okay. just pull it around you. Just that, communicate, I want to snuggle. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good tip. And, and that, yeah, just, just, just grab a hold of her first somehow. And then that will give her the security. You still love me. You still want me. Maybe you respect me, even though I was just a really naughty girl. I'm safe. I'm going to live. It's all okay. And then you can sleep. Oh, and she'll nice. be fine. Yeah, that's a great way to go to sleep. <laughs> uh, Allison, I, I, let's go back to, you know, you said um, originally you thought that it would take you two to three months to, to figure <laughs> out everything you needed to know about men. And here, almost 30 yeah. years later, you're still studying us. Mm -hmm. um, Are you? Yeah. What I'm curious, like after 30 years, I, I, okay, I would think after like 10 years, at least you could figure out everything about us. But what are you learning in the past, like, say, three, three years or so that are just that's still like keeping you uh, keeping you excited or revigorating you or just just kind of just um, have you learned anything that has just blown your mind in the past three years about us? I would after because it's been such a long time. Oh, my gosh. Um Oh boy, to catalog it. I learned something about men usually, oh my goodness. It's really every few weeks. Okay. And that, I, that I'm stunned that I didn't see that before because it's so important. And um, the, it, and that's what just kept me going, right? It's, it's just a fascination. And, and there's also new levels, right? Like, okay, so for example, um, years ago, I articulated the difference between the effect of criticism on men and the effect of criticism on women, mm -hmm. and that men have four layers of protection against criticism that women don't have. And that's why, because men had asked me, you know, how do you criticize a woman effectively? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> but is there a way to put it? No, there isn't. Right. But if I no, you can't. She's gonna crumble. And and she may react in a very ugly way and attack you. You just can't do it. But there's gotta be a way I can do it. No, there isn't. Why not? Right? Mm -hmm. So I had to answer the question and so I distinguished from studying men the four layers of protection men have against criticism. And then, like a month ago, I like you know smack myself in the forehead. I was like, "It's not four; it's five. Men have five layers of protection. <laughs> we have our shields on." What an idiot! What an idiot! Well, well, I mean, do you want me to tell you what they are? Yes, yeah, of course. Okay, so I'll tell you all five. Okay. And 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 the first one was the one that I finally connected the dots after all these years, which should have been obvious in the beginning. So the first layer of protection that a man has against criticism is single focus. 
Okay. So you commit yourself to something and your brain screens out everything irrelevant to what you're committed to, which means so much of the criticism that's being expressed, you don't ever hear. That's uh, true. (laughs) Yes. There are all these snarky comments and rolled eyes and... Um, and tones of voice that women really meant, mean to penetrate that don't because you're getting ready for work, mm-hmm. right? Or you're getting ready to get out the door or you're just eating your dinner or you're just watching the ball game. And so the first layer of protection against criticism is you never hear it. Okay. You're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one that I finally connected the dots on a month ago. Like, duh. Because I... Single focus is one of the first things I learned about men in 1991. Um, The second layer of protection, which was the most obvious and I thought was the first, is what you always say to women when we're hurt by criticism. You say, you say, honey, consider the source. (laughs) That's not a good thing to say. I know that for a fact. (laughs) Well, it doesn't. But I mean, it's a logical thing to say and it fits for a man. Uh It just doesn't work for a woman right. but but it's it's brilliant it's brilliant in them as i it's my favorite thing about menopause okay. is is i actually i mean most people don't understand what's really happening in a woman's body with menopause but um testosterone has a shielding effect on women and so there are times in our menstrual cycle where we are more impervious to criticism than other times. And (laughs) when we were training live workshop leaders, we would ask them about their cycle so we would know when to critique them. (laughs) Um, Because there's times when we have no shielding whatsoever and it just, it just hurts terribly. Mm. But, but past menopause, we actually start to have more shielding against criticism and the first time I noticed it was I I got the scathing letter from somebody and that what it said in the letter evidence that she hadn't even read my book she just somebody had like sicked her on me like a dog mm-hmm. and so I was just considering the source this is someone who knows nothing about my book she has no right to say this and so it was just like yeah whatever but <laughs> but but what women don't know is that when you consider the source if you don't respect the source, I mean, it really is like a fart. What they said was just a fart. It just <laughs> kind of smelled bad for a second and disappeared into the wind. It was meaningless. Uh-huh. Right? right. And, but it, and, but if you do respect the source, so women think, oh, that's, okay, okay, they respect the source, then they act on it, right? Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. They, you respect the source, you actually consider the criticism. Okay. You don't just believe it, you don't just buy it, you don't just sign up for it. You compare the criticism against your opinion of yourself. Right. You're the test. Even when you respect somebody, you're, you're the test. And this is why one of the things that men are the most ashamed of is when they believe the criticism. Like my dad, yeah, my dad hurt me when he said I was stupid, and I hurt myself when I believed him. Right. Right? Like, so, so you, te- you check it against your own opinion of yourself. 
And, and so women are thinking, okay, so if you agree with the criticism, now you act on it. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you agree that that's valid criticism, now it passes to the next layer. So, right? So, first layer, you don't even hear it. Second layer, you don't, <laughs> whether or not you respect the source. Yeah. Third layer is you agree with the criticism. Now you go to the fourth layer. And the fourth layer is actually to evaluate what would it take to correct that? And what would be the benefit of correcting it? We call it the worth it calculation. So now the criticism is, the valid criticism is subjected to the worth it calculation. What would be the upside of fixing that and what would it take to fix that? Mm-hmm. Most criticism doesn't pass the worth it calculation. It's just like, yeah, whatever, I'm not perfect. Right. <laughs> <laughs> on to the next thing. <laughs> on to the next thing. It's not worth acting on. There's not a big enough benefit to fixing that. Now, if it does pass the worth it calculation, like, oh, yeah, that would be a really, I should fix that. Yeah, I can definitely see the benefit of fixing that. And so a woman's like, yes, now we can fix it. No, 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 no. Now it goes on the list <laughs> to see when. Yes. <laughs> when is it the most important thing to spend my time and energy and resources on? And if I go on the list, I might stay on the list for 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just on the list. <laughs> I'll get to it. Yeah, that's a. I'll get to it. That's a weakness of mine. I should fix that. Yeah, I will one day. <laughs> All uh, those layers of protection before you change anything about yourself. Whereas for a woman, you look at me funny, which I try to tell women. You know that look on your face that, you, that on his face that you took it as criticism. Mm-hmm. He might have just had gas. <laughs> it may have had nothing to do with you but we come out in a dress you get a funny look on your face we never wear that dress again oh wow or if we are going to wear it we wear it defiantly mm. screw you I'm wearing this dress I like this dress <laughs> <laughs> so we always have like a tood about wearing the dress without even verifying is there something about this dress oh no honey you look gorgeous you uh. can wear that every time really but you had a funny look on your face. Oh, I, I ate something that wasn't good for me. <laughs> we don't check. We don't check. We just It just instantly cuts to the quick, and we change ourselves. We change our behavior, and if not our behavior, we change our attitude about our behavior. How do we, how do we re- repair that if we do give a funny look and then we notice something changing? <laughs> what, what's, a good, what's, a good, what's a good thing to do in that instance? I, just ask. It seems like you you changed. Did I do something that hurt you? And and I mean, it's one of the things that m- most men are afraid of asking. But it's it can. Oh my gosh, it's such a big payoff. We teach this in our Understanding Women course. That say, you know, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. Mm-hmm. Like just to say that, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. You're gonna get you're going to either get verification or you're going to get so many points. Like if you hurt my feelings, <laughs> Oh, now we're clear. I did in fact hurt your feelings. Let's go to that plan. Um, or you'll get, no, honey, you didn't hurt my feelings. You really pissed me off. I did. What did I do? Right. Well, you just vetoed me. I did. Yeah. I said, Hey, let's go to the movies. And you said, no, 
Right. <laughs> Why do you get to say no? Right? It's, it's something men do without explanation. It needs to have no effect, idea of the effect on us. Or, you know, women will say, oh, honey, you didn't hurt my feelings. You, not at all. That's so sweet of you to say that. Ooh, that's poor boy. <laughs> it's good to know I'm writing that one down. <laughs> I'm always trying to get more sex for men. You know that from being at Principia. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Allison. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, it's good for us too. We, yeah. we, it's good for unions. It's good for happiness. Yeah, it's very true. Um, uh, so there's so many things that I want to ask you, like we could go on forever. For sure. Um, one thing, one thing that just came up in my mind as we were talking, um, and I've seen this amongst many couples is, uh, when you're both angry or frustrated with each other, you know, of course, um, we've got the best thing I think is, you know, to get it with, to separate until you're in a space to communicate clearly, um, when you're both ready to, do you have any exercises or structure, um, or, uh, it, it, anything like that to, to, to reconnect and clarify the tension bef- between the, the, the partners? Well, it's, I mean, it's a great question. The, the first thing though, see to you, it's obvious that you should separate. Right. It's like it's like two boxers in a ring that just got nasty with each other. Right. They're not playing by the rules anymore. The ref sends them to their corners to chill out and then come back and fight fair. Um, That's that's obvious to a man. And also that you like, let me go away and get a grip on the emotion that this is causing. I don't want to say something I regret. I don't want to hurt you. Let me go away, even disarm myself of the nasty thing I'm about to say, calm down, get logical, be able to, yeah. you know, communicate effectively. That's, that's normal for, men. Um, okay. for, for most men, for a woman, that's abandonment, mm. you know, so scary yeah. to us. Like you, you're mad at me. And so you're going to leave me for the tiger to eat me, which is why we try to keep you there. Don't walk out on me. <laughs> terrifying and so so if you can muster Uh honey i love you i'll still save you from the tiger i don't want to say something i regret i need to go calm down i promise (laughs) i'll be back Mm, wow okay okay yeah we i mean when we're in those moments we're we're really the primitive instincts are firing like crazy and for you to be displeased with us is I mean, we really think you'll just, you know, offer the tiger some mustard, like take her, <laughs> you know, <laughs> take her. She's, she's awful. Eat her yeah. here. You know, can I fry her up for you? We, we really are terrified of that. And, and so, and it also helps have agreements. Like when you're not fighting to make, to make agreements about it, like, um, Greg, oh, gosh, I get so mad because the most powerful man on earth, right? He gets clear about what he's up to within like sometimes minutes, maybe a few hours at the most, it is manifested. Mm-hmm. But also self-deprecating, right? Okay. And so he'd be saying something about himself that to me, I'm like, you're just lying now. 
right? I, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to figure that out. I'm like, why are, why are pants on fire? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I would get so mad because truth is one of my highest values. And he's not telling the truth about himself and how powerful he is. And so we made an agreement early on. Like I, when I, when you're saying something that I am infuriated about because it's not true, I need to be able to hang up on you because okay. when I hang up on you, I am protecting you from me. I'm about to, I am, I am in danger of saying something that I regret and I'm hanging up to protect you from me. Don't call me. Don't text me. Don't check with me. Let me calm myself down, sort myself out, and I'll reach out to you when I know I'm not going to say something hurtful. Mm. And so we made we made that agreement like when we weren't in the thick of it. So, okay. and I always got way madder than than Greg. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know I'm a I'm a fighter, right? So I my first response is to fight. And yeah. Um, which is a really good thing for couples to figure out. You know, everybody just fight, flight, and freeze. What's your order, right? I'm fight, freeze, flight, right? Okay. Greg, freeze, flight, fight. If he's fighting, he's, <laughs> he's way down the line. Yeah. Um, so knowing that about each other and and accepting it. Okay, this is this is how you react. Um can help so much. And one of the things we teach in the in the Queen's Code book and in Understanding Men is how much as a man um oh my gosh, your in your compulsion to protect us is so beautiful and misunderstood. Like yeah. I've explained to women like a man punches a wall and she thinks he's such an ass. Like that is <laughs> yeah. so immature. And or he has a wrench in his hand and he throws the wrench. And I, and I have to like, you know, sit down with women and go, honey, he punched the wall. Yeah. Instead of your face. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. In that moment of fury, which you caused with your provocation, he chose to protect you from himself. When he threw the wrench, he threw the wrench away from you. He, he disarmed himself. That was a club, and he disarmed <laughs> himself in that moment oh to gosh. protect you. <laughs> yeah. Right? That was an act of heroism. Not, that was not childish. That was the opposite of childish. And look at women's faces. They're just like, They're shocked. Oh, <laughs> yes! Yes, and and this was something. When did I learn this? Three years ago. You asked me what are the most important things I learned in the last three years. Yeah. Three years ago, I um, worked with a hormone specialist and found out that my state of mind, my inability, my short-term memory loss, had to do with pitifully low levels of testosterone. Okay. And so I I started taking bioidentical testosterone. And <laughs> and I discovered something extraordinary about men, which was that that thing that you guys have about having a grip on your emotions and how much you pride yourself in having a grip on your emotions and disrespect a man who doesn't have a grip on his emotions. Mm-hmm. I had no idea the intensity 
of a man's anger until I had man levels of testosterone. Oh, wow. Yeah, somebody, somebody ticked me off. And my body felt like an atomic bomb. <laughs> yeah, that's how it feels. <laughs> yeah, I never knew that. I, did, I didn't it, know that. Does it so feel it like that for women? Me, no, 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 it doesn't. And it, it launched me into this whole study of men and anger. And we did a whole weekend, you know, of the men coming to the microphone and, and expressing, you know, like what it means when a man's shoulders are up around his ears. That he's, mm-hmm. you know, basically got the Tasmanian devil in a barrel and he's sitting <laughs> on the lid <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's trying to keep it from getting out. And I, and then I got to find out the worst that when a woman, I mean, we've been talking about the rage monster for years, right? You can look it up on YouTube, Alison Armstrong rage monster, and I'll imitate yeah. a woman in the rage monster. And I got to find out that why men are so afraid of the rage monster is because you think our rage monster is the tip of the iceberg, just like what you show us is the tip of the iceberg. Mm, wow. That's you incredible. Don't, yes, men don't know that the rage monster, that's as bad as we get. <laughs> but it seems so scary sometimes. <laughs> I, I know, but it is the iceberg, and it right, uh-huh. and it can be prevented, and it's a lot of what I teach men in in our new understanding women course which came into existence in 2013 which is so much better than old dvds is i i tell i teach men how to men and women how do you prevent the rage monster how can you tell when's been conceived how do you squish it when it's just a little bud (laughs) right prophylactic like don't wait till it's a fire breathing dragon and you think truth and logic are going to defeat it and you're going to be burnt to a crisp don't wait that long. And, but it really is our rage monster when those hideous things are coming out of our mouth and they're hideous and, we, and we're horrified by them because we're not in control in that moment. They are the worst. They're not the tip. They're the worst. And oh my gosh, I'm so, I fell in love with you guys all over again. <laughs> all over oh, again that's... when I found out the enormity of of the of of the of the emotion of rage the norm yeah. um, i just bless you bless you all <laughs> it's for really how intense. you protect us that's oh. why we have all those five layers right to see if it's uh, <laughs> to go through all that to see if it's worth it then we need to separate when we argue because we don't we, yeah. these emotions it's great it's like a house like coming down on top of us it's nuts yeah yeah, yeah, and I like if we could, if we could understand the lengths you go to to protect us from the intensity of your emotion, and that you, like, I mean, it just cries me to think about it. That I mean, you can love us with that kind of intensity. Yeah. Like, yeah really. Holy, you love your children with that kind of intensity. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I need I needed a deep breath too. Um <laughs> I want to I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk business. Mm-hmm. Um because mm-hmm. there's um 
something so amazing about, uh, we've really found that there's a couple type of influencers. One uh, is an influencer that kind of has got their influence and then they build a uh, business under that model. And then an, a person who has over the years uh, built up success and, and gradually got influence more and more and more, the more successful that they they become. But there's something mm. so cool about the way that you've done it because you your intent was true just to really understand men and help men and women connect better and understand themselves better <clears throat> and that it's been a, a major motivator and it turned, you became this go-to person and it turned into a really awesome business model for you. And so this, you started this journey in 1991. When did you realize that this could be a, a business that could um, turn into a full-time thing for you? Mm. So let's see. Let me see if I can do it briefly. Uh, I didn't actually realize it until 1996. Okay. Um, and it wasn't even a full-time thing for me. I was a mom, but my partner, Joan McLean, she was a vice president in a bank and she hated it. And I've always, I've always just been compelled to make Joan happy. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> if it's karma or something. Uh -huh. And so I, I, it was, I don't know why it was like my personal mission to save her from the bank. And, and that's how PAX became a full-time business because Joan needed to get out of the bank. <laughs> and so she, so she needed a job to get out of the bank. And we started our workshops in 1995 because I'd learned enough by then about men to know that women had it just all backwards. And, and that, you know, we are, you know, were the, had become the source of our own suffering because we didn't understand men. And I w really wanted to write a book, but mm -hmm. I had interacted enough with women about this and about why we do the things that bring out the worst in men. Why do we attack men? Why do we emasculate men? Why do we diminish men? Why do we punish men? I learned enough to know that I didn't know how to reveal men to them without that being recycled into them being even better at diminishing men. And I knew it because I'd done it. The first six months of studying men, everything I learned I used against men. Mm. And I and I didn't know I I didn't it wasn't that I didn't know I was. I didn't know it was bad that I was. Right? <laughs> because I didn't <laughs> until I was called on it by the only woman who had a life that I envied, Ellen Hurst, she called me on it and asked me to stop. And no one else could have gotten me to stop. But oh, wow. she was, yeah, no one else could have. No one had her credibility. She'd been married for 13 years. She had two children and she had a husband who was still courting her. Oh, nice. Right? Yeah. Yes, yes. And so, you know, she called me up and, <laughs> Allison, men are attracted to you like bees to honey. And when you're done with them, it's like they've been with a vampire. <laughs> yeah. she, she said that. can you please she, stop can you please stop this? <laughs> well then she and i'm like me little old me and then she's pointed out all the ways that she'd seen me emasculate men or saw the men, men in the aftermath and everything she pointed out i was like oh yeah i remember that oh that was a good one 
Oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. Put him in his place. <laughs> yes, um, I was so normal, Chris. And I, and she's like, I want you to stop. And when she said that, I had this immediate, well, I mean, just burst out. Well, then how will I protect myself? Mm. Which then revealed, basically, since I was 16 years old, I decided men are bigger and stronger and they'll hurt you. And I'd adopted this way of relate to men, basically, you know, hand me your balls and then we'll talk. Mm-hmm. And I, the best offense, right? The best defense is a good offense. So I was constantly diminishing and disempowering men. And mostly I would put men off balance. I would, I would I'd use my humor or my intellect or my sexuality, anything to cause a tilt because then I felt safe. Like, you, like a man on tilt can't attack. That's what it seemed like. But a man on tilt also can't protect you. A, a, man, a tilted man can't provide for you. A tilted man can't be a genius for you, right? Everything that women do to men to feel safer because you seem safe, you seem less dangerous, actually has us ultimately be less safe because, I mean, the, the way that I finally could articulate it is if a man has to protect himself from you, he can't protect you. So you're left protecting yourself from the 5% of the population that needs to be protected from because you have just weakened the 95% of the population that would have protected you from the bad guys, and they actually are a better judge of who's a bad guy than you are. <laughs> Way better, John. It, yeah. Oh my gosh. It's... Yeah. So, so the point, yeah. So the point is, we started our workshops because I, I wanted to learn how to write the book that would transform the way women related to men. And so I said, Joan, I, I, I need to do a workshop so the students can teach me how to teach them so that I can write the book. And. The, the strange thing is, is it took 15 years to figure out how to write the book. <laughs> how did you, what was your initial um, workshops that you were doing? Were those free workshops? No, um, January of 1995, we did our first workshop. It was one day, it cost $95 and it was called Celebrating Men, Satisfying Women. Oh, nice. Good title. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How, many pe- how many people came to your first workshop? We had nine people there in Joan's living room. Ah, great. And, and it, was, it was stunning. The results were off the charts. Very cool. Yeah. How long then, Allison, did it take you to to get to the point where you and Joan could be full-time from the workshops and the business? Well, the weird thing is we made a business plan that we would keep doing workshops. After that first one was successful, we made a plan to keep doing workshops in L.A., And then we wanted, like, in the second year, maybe to go to another state. And within five months, we'd already were in Utah, Wisconsin. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we were already in other states. And within a couple of years, we'd been to, I don't even know how many states, because people heard about it from a friend and said, will you come to us? And it took, golly, how long did it take? Um, I just didn't take any money so that Joan could quit the bank. Well, it's a good friend with an amazing husband who, I mean, what Greg said was he just never cared if I made any money. He mm-hmm. just, he, that, I mean, he, 
when we met and he asked me what my dreams were, I told him the truth. And I, I was born an activist. And I started doing the workshops to learn to write the book because I wanted parents to stop taking each other apart. And because they were taking each other apart, their kids couldn't learn. And so they go to school and not be able to learn at school because they're so messed up because their kid, their parents fought all night. So right. it started out from this personal study converged with being an advocate for children and it that and it, and it came together right and and so I just I mean I was <laughs> I was a pauper I I made $800 a month as as an activist I raised my own salary and I just didn't care I didn't I was I was mission driven since like yeah. six years old, probably before that. And, and so Greg just supported it and supported it. And he honestly never expected it to make money, which was a really good thing. Cause I would always be like, honey, instead of getting paid, could I get a new printer? <laughs> 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 honey, instead of getting paid, could we buy plane tickets to leave this workshop in Atlantic? Cause these really important people are coming that I want to empower. Honey, instead of getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> Mission-driven, so, for sure, yes. Mission-driven. And then when did I start getting paid? Um, it really was stunning for him, for me to end up making more money than he did. And, like, when we published my first book, He's the Kingdom, I was raising money in order to be able to self-publish. And he's, he said, honey, just um, start small. Like, maybe print, maybe print 100 of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I was really hurt, right? I was really hurt. I'm like, well, the, it doesn't make sense price-wise. I'm going to print 500. And when I've sold 500, I won a prize. <laughs> yeah. They had to take me out to the most expensive restaurant in town when we sold 500. And we sold 500 in the pre-sale. And, oh, wow. and Keys of the Kingdom is still selling. And I think it's, I mean, we've sold over 150,000 books, self-published, all self-published, and which is more than, it's so many more than people with big publishers, right? I actually, you know, had a big publisher for the Queen's Code and gave them their money back because their, their plan was going to suck, and, <laughs> and <laughs> it really was going to suck, and, and I just, like... I'm, you know, this strange spiritual human. And for my 50th birthday, I was like, okay, so number one, figure out the most effective way to publish the Queen's Code for worldwide distribution. Mm-hmm. And about 30 seconds later, I received all the instructions for doing that. How cool. Like, I, it was so cool. And so it took... It took over a year and about $300,000 to implement the instructions. Uh-huh. But, but we published the Queen's Code a chapter at a time over an eight-week period on the Internet. And within three weeks, it was being read in 70 countries. It's amazing. It's amazing. We didn't even have a country code on our, like on our website. There was no place <laughs> where you could enter a country. You, uh-huh. could, you couldn't go to country in. So every day I would look and see what cities people had bought the book in. And then I'd, <laughs> I was on Google. Where is? <laughs> <laughs> Where is this city? <laughs> yes. 
yes, where is the city? And then it would show me a map and I'm like, Kazakhstan, you know, or <laughs> like, I mean, like Macedonia, we're in a 5,000 year old village in Macedonia. <laughs> I mean, wet, when the West Bank showed up, I burst into tears. South Africa, I sobbed my guts out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know it, if I'm a good model for an entrepreneur because I just, all our investors, I told them, you cannot count on me to make a good business decision. <laughs> 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 I'm not promising that, good business decisions. You, this is pride of ownership. <laughs> yes, you have a word. You're very honest, you know. Um, yes. you know, You know, it's hard to say because entrepreneurs come in all different shapes and sizes and models, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the, the way that you build your business could be the next um, the next inspiration to inspire somebody that is in a position like that, that can build a business mm-hmm. just like you. Right. Mm-hmm. And that can affect just as many or more people down the right road. Yeah. So there's no, that's the beauty of entrepreneurship because there's no one way to do it. There's no black and white. Like you create your own business and your own business model and you make it, you're the one that makes it happen. It, it is. And I, 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 I love entrepreneurs. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm where I'm staying in Atlanta. Uh, my friends are such entrepreneurs and, you know, Andrew Salisbury who searched the world over for the best coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Invented purity coffee. And, you know, it's stunning the health benefits, right? The cancer that it prevents. Right. And mm-hmm. he just, it just came from this passion. Right. And yeah. Entrepreneurs are the coolest. The world's a better place for entrepreneurship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so today in your business, um, what's uh, what brings you guys the most revenue for the company? Is it books or courses or uh, what keeps you guys sustainable? Definitely um, our online courses, which was okay. a huge decision we had to make um between the well is it it was it's officially a depression right 2008 that was officially a depression um between the internet and the depression basically for almost anybody but tony robbins the (laughs) workshop business was decimated right yeah i was in that business ah very good and so we had to we had to make a choice about were we gonna um go online or do not you know like just be done and and when we decided to to go online i i honestly just hoped to have them be as good as the live workshops mm-hmm. and because of a lot of feedback, my daughter had a huge impact uh, because she's an online student. And so she kept like telling me, mom, that's boring. <laughs> <laughs> mom, that's irrelevant. Mom, you got to edit that out. Mom, you got to give people more ways to interact. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can say with tremendous pride that our online courses are more effective more powerful, more useful, more everything than our live workshops were. And yeah, yeah. And our, it's, it's our live workshop graduates are very proud of themselves 
and they are light years behind our online students. Oh wow! Okay. It's uh, it's 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 shameful actually, and we try to get them online, and they're like, "No, we like my workshops." <laughs> and <laughs> and I I'm I'm about to I'm like just like giving up trying to convince them. They're so positional about it. Um, and but I mean, imagine you. It used to take two years for people to do four courses because that's when they came to their cities. Uh-huh. Now I have people a month later, they've finished all four courses and they're on to the next ones and the next ones. And, they were, and they're reviewing them and rewinding them and watching them again. And a live workshop, this may sound weird, but since you come from workshops, in a live workshop, we had so much data. I could answer participant questions maybe two hours in a 16 hour weekend. Mm-hmm. I spend 12 hours a month answering questions for online. our people in our online courses. Yeah. Every, every week I'm answering questions. People call in from, you know, they get up in the middle of the night in London to ask me a question. And, yeah. and it, it's, I mean, I have more contact, more, I get to contribute more than I ever got to because they're now doing the basic studying on their own time and I get to I get to bring who I am now, right? And mm-hmm. oh, it's just it's so satisfying. I fall madly in love with people that I didn't I didn't get to have that much contact with before. I was too busy teaching and talking as fast as I could. Um <laughs> so that that is that's like the that's this, the staple of what we do. We have over a hundred hours of courses online. Okay. And and then, um, I we, our first recording we made like seven years into being in business is called the Amazing Development of Men. It was a cassette tape. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember those. Yes. 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 The cassette <laughs> tape. I I printed the things at home and stuffed them myself. And uh, $7 they sold for. And now um, it, it's the second biggest source of revenue for the company. Um, and between um, physical products and being on Audible and iTunes, which has made our stuff really inexpensive for people, which makes me really happy. And, and then um, anytime I like what I was telling you about the cure for complaining, right? So I did mm-hmm. this whole weekend program to sort it out and then turned it into a three-hour teleclass, which then turned into a recording, which people can download and listen to as many times as they want, right? So so everything, recording and downloading as a teacher, as a messenger, it used to drive me crazy. I would discover something new about men and then how could I get the word out to everybody? Go back and visit all the cities that I taught before? <laughs> right. So, yeah. yeah, so I can go from a new discovery to a new program. I literally can do it in two weeks if I need to. Yeah, that's that's but, what's yeah. so amazing about online, like this, these online courses and, and the way that we can put them together is it's, mm-hmm. it's very effective, I think. Um, yeah. Allison, last if, month if I did some, some, go ahead. Go ahead. No. Well, last month I I did a a webinar called "Why You Can't Trust Men," 
Yeah. Because I wanted to like hit the audience that's really skeptical about men. So I came out with this, you know, Alison Armstrong loves men and she's saying this. Uh But as I, you know, leading is a very creative process for me and it ended up in why you can't trust men to tell the truth, which really the real title should be how women convince men that telling the truth isn't worth it. Oh. <laughs> how women convince honest men to not tell the truth, right? Um, yes, yes, because we do. We do. We actually, like men understand completely why you can't trust men to tell the truth. Where, where's the upside of telling the truth to a woman? Seriously? When? Is that a good idea? <laughs> men understand that completely. Um, but women don't know they actually cause men to conceal and to even more than your instincts tell you to we cause that so I mean that went from all these revelations and connections that my brain made I call it making constellations because my my brain's like you know a starry sky all these connections that came together and then now you know somebody can just download it and listen to it or watch it on our website and absolutely yeah that is so satisfying because it was brutal. All I learned, and I'd have to write another book, and it'd come out five years later. Oh, and everybody would suffer me well to not know it. <laughs> Allison, I want to I want to ask uh, just a couple more questions to kind of wrap things up here. Um, any any tips? Two or three tips, maybe on managing influence because there's a lot of people that have influence and they, it gets out of hand and uh, maybe their egos take over um, or they just get addicted to their influence they have on social media or whatever. Any tips on managing influence from your perspective? Wow. Um, a short answer. Uh, well, I I lucked out, Chris, because I avoided fame and I didn't want fame and I was terrified of fame. Uh And my staff actually asked me to go handle that. Like, you're slowing down. (laughs) You're slowing this down. Get over it, Allison. Um, And I think uh, not reading your own press is good. Um, I'm constantly learning, right? I've never stopped studying men and women and partnership, which is my, you know, to me the whole point. And because I'm never done learning, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm always humbled, right? Mm. <laughs> Everything yeah. I learn, I'm stunned I didn't learn it before. I feel like such an idiot. Like, <laughs> you know, like single focus is the first shield. And, um, and so... And I also, because I'm mission driven, right? I, I made a promise in 1988 that every man, woman, and child on the planet would be fed, clothed, housed, loved, and respected. Impossible mm-hmm. promise for my life. So, in my view, and I'm not like just making this up, I'm a failure. And I've been a failure since I dedicated my life to something that was impossible. And that failure gives me freedom because there's no right move. There's no right strategy to accomplish something impossible. And there's still, I mean, yeah, there are 28,000 children dying a day of hunger when I started. 
now I think we're at 14,000 a day, but that's still 14,000 a day. So I, I think for everybody, probably the tip is, is find a purpose in your life that, that keeps you humble. Because there's, I used to always be able to pick the American Idol winner because yeah. it was talent plus humility. Yes. Yeah. Every Absolutely. time Americans hate arrogant people, confidence. Yeah. Yes. Arrogance not. And, and so I don't, I just am humbled, right? I'm, I, I, I work with people. I get to contribute to people who humble me. They're so, what they're up to is so much bigger, right? Their courage is so much bigger than mine. And, and so I think I'm left with just being true to myself, like to get on the radio with Dennis Prager. We've been doing it. It'll be 16 years in January. He's the one who, who basically made me famous. But to get on the radio with him and, and just be truthful with him, to, con to contradict him, right? To disagree uh -huh. with him, right? He's, you know, the intellect in Dennis Prager is, is intimidating, right? It's astonishing. But, but to get on there and rumble with him, to contribute to people, right? Is, so I, I, think, I think the answer is really... Source yourself from a purpose that makes fame not the point, makes popularity not the point. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to go, I, I, um, John Gray, whom I adore, did a whole study of why do famous people go off the rails and that hormonally and what happens in the brain is that when we're amplified by so many people listening and paying attention, basically all our foibles, all our faults are what's amplified. Our neuroses are what's amplified by, by the effect of other people's consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, do, the other side is like, do your work, play, clean your closets, <laughs> right? I like, I have a whole program called Extreme Freedom that's just about you gotta you gotta jettison the trash or it's it will be amplified by by fame or popularity or appreciation. And can I tell you one other thing about yeah, it? Yeah, please, please. The thing that's really been obvious to me for so long because there was an ego time for sure. And then, and then I got clear about this and that is what I do. I, I'm, I'm very clear about my part, right? I'm clear about my part of our conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm also clear that this conversation doesn't make any difference until someone has the courage to act on it. Right. So someone takes the time to listen differently that like the, the man who has the courage to tell his wife what happens to him when she does that cute little thing with her hips right <laughs> that's gonna he's gonna expose himself in that moment that's gonna change her life and his life and it'll be better yes i i you know like said do that but but he's the one who has to have the courage 
right? And she has, has to have the vulnerability to try it and see that it really work and be, oh my gosh, and maybe get her feelings hurt. And so I, I'm very clear that when people say you transformed my life, I'm, I know I didn't. You transformed your life. Yeah. You changed your life. You, you, I wasn't there. You were there. So I think that's also really helpful when you know your part and how, how much people have what you did make a difference because what they added to it. And that theirs is, theirs is at least 90%, if not 99%. Very good way to look at it. Um, Allison, one other thing. Um, if you guys ever see Allison on her videos, she always looks so happy and she's glowing <laughs> and she's she's very radiant, which is a le- word I learned from you. Um, mm. And I'm just curious, is this the result of studying men for, for so many years? You study men for years, you get you get to be happy you and radiant. Happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, re- remember when I said back then... Uh, about all these characteristics that I could tie to survival instincts except for one thing. Yeah. You remember when I said that one thing, this, this yeah. magic, and maybe we talk about it later. Yeah. That one thing is, is how much it means to men for women to be happy. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. And the, <laughs> yes. And the, see, the lengths that you will go to to make a woman happy, which has no survival benefit at all. It's completely no. spiritual. And yeah. it's, it's, and, and it's like the dance that we have, this happy dance we can do together, or we can, the sewer dance, you know, and <laughs> what most people do. And so when I found out how much men want to make women happy and why, the impact, the happiness is radioactive, and it, it literally changes the quality of life. And when I found that out, I, because I'd given up emasculating men, I'd given up diminishing men, it meant committing to being happy. Because you are diminished by a woman being unhappy. And in fact, you know, a man will end a relationship because he's decided he's not good enough to make her happy and, and he wants her to be happy. And you, you guys look and say you deserve to be with someone who can make you happy. Yeah. And you mean it. You really yeah. mean it. It's love to you. Like, I, want, I love you. I want you to be happy. I'm failing. Find someone who can. And so my commitment to being happy, which is, I mean, that's the difference between me and most people. But, like, I'm not pursuing happiness. <laughs> I am committed to being happy I'm determined to be happy I'm gonna I have reverse engineered happiness our course being extraordinary as a woman is all about what it takes for a woman to be happy and teaching men that women not being happy is not your failure it's really not it's really not 95% of a woman being happy is hers to do not yours it's hers to do and it's why it's so important for women to be committed to being happy, and it's so important for you guys to be unwilling to be with a woman who's unhappy in principle, which so many women are unhappy in principle because they think it will motivate you to try harder, and oh, they wow. don't know it's killing you. Yeah. It's a terrible manipulation. 
This is a sobering conversation, Allison. <laughs> mm, yeah. But but it's it's great. Um yeah. okay. We need to wrap up. <laughs> big breath, yes. Big yes. breath, everybody. It all works out. It's all worked out. I'm I'm the I'm the pragmatic visionary. It comes down to really simple stuff. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I Allison, never just create big, you know, possibilities that are pie in the sky. It's always, you know, meat and potatoes and we're done. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, if the, well, I want to say, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all of your, your wisdom with us. I really appreciate it. Uh, so thank you so much. And if the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they can do that at? Understandmen.com is the... I mean, that's AllisonArmstrong.com, UnderstandingWomen.com. They all lead to the same place, but UnderstandMen.com. And everything is there, including the new live program I'm doing in January and our online curriculum and free stuff and programs, products, the Queen's Code book, all that stuff. You can find it there. Amazing. I am going to... Uh, I'm abroad in Lisbon this year, but I'm going to get some online stuff because it's been a long time since I've uh, listened to your stuff and I really want to listen to a lot more of it. Mm. So, Allison, thank you so much for coming on the show. I uh, I really appreciate it. That was amazing. Actually, it was, um, it was, uh, how can I explain it? Um, it kind of felt like it, it relieved some weight off my shoulders listening to you. <laughs> And uh, we really, so thank you so much. Um, we're going to be live here in a few weeks. And anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, really, the way that you listen and um, uh, I had so many moments of ecstasy. Just getting <laughs> to be me because of how you are about me and what I'm saying is a gift, truly a gift. Thank you so much. Well, I'm very honored. I'm very honored. Thank you. We're going to wrap up there again, Allison. Thank you. And listeners, thank you for tuning in once again. And we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.